welcome back to you know what i've been wondering i'm sarah and i'm jane we are not on the same page today we need to pick it up no. <laughs> the middle segment is gonna go terribly oh it is gonna go terribly i know what it is this time no, we, we just have to get back in the rhythm in the next, in the next like 25 minutes, 30 minutes, or however long your segment is. Yeah. It's nor- your segment's normally 45 minutes and mine's like a brisk 15. <laughs> it's because I talk really quickly and because I'm... Oh, mouth face, you have cut me to the <laughs> No, your segment's longer because I interrupt you more. It's me. It's my fault. Mm. Anyway, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well, I guess, overall. Um can't super complain i feel like daylight savings time really messed with me and everyone i know mm, yep almost everyone i talked to today was like sorry i'm having a bad day i did not sleep last night and i was like yeah no literally everyone i know was in that position but let's get to you and how you are because i know you have a story <laughs> you probably want to tell i do thank you for opening up the floor because today the story came to a close so it's all coming together and you don't know <gasps> the closing yet so on Friday night, um, it was very, very windy in New York. Now, when I checked the weather app, it said it was 14 miles per hour, which is windy, but not like the 45 mile per hour warning we were getting. But Friday, it was also nice outside. And my bedroom window is a skylight. So I, and I, I sometimes sleep with it a little cracked open because I get very hot. So Friday, it was like 50 degrees in the night. I was like, that's the perfect temperature to have my window open. So I had my window open. I I'm dozing off and on. And then at like 1.30, um, I, I can hear that it's really windy. So I'm like, okay, the window's like wide open at that point. But I'm like, I should, I should close it to like a crack. So it was open maybe like a foot. And then I lowered it to like, you know, maybe four inches. And not 30 minutes later, when I was still awake because it was loud, I hear, I see the window fly away. It leaves the ceiling um, and I hear a thud on the roof. And so now my window. Oh, I didn't know you saw it fly away. I, did. I thought you just looked up and it was gone. No, I witnessed it. I witnessed the whoop. Okay. And it was just, I was like, oh, oh, there it goes. It's gone. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it was that Ryan Hamilton bit about his contacts. I'm laying there. Now, thankfully, I had about a two minute panic of being like, what do I do? Like, I didn't know what to do. Thankfully, <laughs> the the um hallway light goes on so I know someone else is awake and I hear a door open so I I go out of my room and I see that it's my roommate Hunter and I'm like Hunter and she's freaking out she's like is someone burgling us that's what she thought and I was like no that was my window and all of a sudden it hits me that like I don't have a window in my bedroom anymore I have a screen but I have no window and so I like Mm. I, I become hysterical like I'm laughing but I'm also sobbing and Hunter starts doing the same thing. We're just like in hysterics because I'm like, it could fly off the roof. We could hit a person. They could die. Like, I'm just <laughs> like, I just am panicking. And we're looking out our like living room windows and there are people in the street because I was worried. I was like, what if it did fly off the roof? Like, what if it's not on the roof? So I'm looking around on the street for it. And people are like hugging their friends, getting in, getting in Ubers. It's 1.45 in the morning. I'm like, go home. There's a window. It's loose. You could die. Like, and, like, a pandemic. <laughs> and, a, and a panorama. Like I, you need to go home. <laughs> there are like cops in the street. I'm like, can they help me? I did not know what to do. So the window, but the window is wide open. It's all that air is coming in my room. And so I'm like, okay, I guess I'll try to go back to bed. Cause again, it's like maybe 45 degrees outside. It's cold, but it's not, it's not freezing. Um, it's just chilly. 
But I go in my room, I try to sleep and uh, I could, it wasn't that I couldn't sleep because of the cold. I couldn't sleep because it was loud. So I went and I slept in the living room on the couch. So the next morning I woke up, I was very tired and I called our super and I texted him, but I didn't get a response. And we knew that the landlord who's kind of a, a shithead was like, not going to reply. So we go and I decide that I'm going to go on the roof. Now note that this is not something that you should do. I do not condone getting on your roof, but I was like, I have to go up there. There's literally, there's no window. Like I have to do something. So I go up there and the window is on the roof. Thank God. I also just wanted to make sure it was there. So I go up on the roof, the window is there and I sort of place it like slightly on top. Like the puzzle piece fits, but it's a little crooked. It's not in there all the way. So I kind of just like crookedly placed it on top of my window, but it wasn't like sealed in. And I come back down and I was like, okay, that'll be fine. So the window's like cracked open because it's not placed perfectly on it, but it's not wide open. And Saturday goes by just yeah, fine. Yeah, like protect you from like rain. Exactly, and exactly. And from the frigid cold. Like it wasn't going to be fully open and let yeah. all the cold air in. Or all the warm air from in here escape. So we go through Saturday. Saturday again is a really nice day. Everything's fine. Sleep, I sleep that night in my room. No problem. Um, Sunday goes by fine. But then Sunday night, I'm laying in bed and the wind is bad. And it's like ripping through the place. It's super loud. And I was like, and now I'm sitting there and I'm like, my heart's beating so fast. Cause now I know that it's a possibility that my window can blow away. So I'm sitting there. Yeah. I laid in bed for three and a half hours listening to the sound of the wind <gasps> and, and, to, and just being like, should I go into the living room? So I sleep in here. I don't want to sleep in the living room. Cause I'm not going to sleep well. I have work in the morning. It's now I'm doing that thing where it's like, it's now six hours until I have to go to work. It is now five hours until I have to go to work. I was doing that. I have to get up for work. At two o'clock, I give up. I go and and I slept on the living room couch, which I'm glad I did because when I got up yesterday, the window had shifted to being like half off again. Oh. So I go to work and the super had replied to me and he said, I will come fix your window on Monday. So I go to work on Monday and I come home and the super has not come. It's like 3.30. And so I'm starting to wonder, like, is he coming today? At 4.15, my landlord replies to the email I had sent him at 2 a.m. on Saturday that had the subject emergency. Hi, Sarah. Can Oscar, who is our super, come fix the window on Thursday afternoon? And I said, no, <laughs> he cannot come on Thursday afternoon. The window is wide open. It is going yeah. to rain on Wednesday. It is now dropped to 27 degrees. So you are A, letting me freeze and B, letting all the heat out of the apartment. Like he he needs to come as soon as possible. And this guy is like, oh, I didn't think about that. Okay, maybe maybe that is going to be a problem. Let's go. I'll come sooner. I was like, it was like (laughs) the, the incompetence was like at a new level for New York landlords. I swear to God. So I went back up on the roof and this time I like placed it and sealed it in. But I told my roommates that they were going to have to tell Oscar that I went up there because the last thing I wanted was for him to come look at the window and be like, looks fine and leave. I'm like, it looks fine because I, I didn't, I, cause I placed it oh, back yeah. on, but it's not fixed. So today when I got home, they were leaving. They had, they have fixed the window. It can now be open and shut. And there's like a bolt in it and it's not going to leave. Like it'll, it's very secure. They did a very good job securing it, but that was the end of the story. But it was, it was the landlord for me being like, 
yeah, Thursday. I'm like, no. And I sent him a photo. I sent him a photo of what it looked like at its worst. I didn't tell him that I like. You don't need a window above you for the next like week, right? Right? I was like, uh, my dude, it is going to rain. Some people think it's going to snow. It like flurried today. It was, oh my God. It was wild. So that was my journey with my window. That was my story. Um, I was one of those things that truly it felt like one of those things that will only happen to me. Like I, Mm -hmm. I have been blessed with a very lucky life. You know, I've knock on wood. I've never broken a bone. I've never gotten seriously injured. Nothing like that. But I am plagued with minor inconveniences all the time. You really (laughs) are. I also think this week, because it was so nice for that few days, I I feel like we all feel like in a heightened sense of stakes around the cold. Like mm-hmm. it 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 was ten degrees here, not today but yesterday. It was freezing yesterday, and mm-hmm. it, it takes a lot for like people in Maine to be like, okay, it's cold, and like the principal kept the kids in for recess <laughs> yesterday, and everything and i i was like it's been 10 degrees before here but nope it's like because it was so nice everyone was like this is the worst thing that's ever happened we had right it feels worse and it was yeah it feels worse after that first spurt of nice weather yeah that's like the blow is harder totally yeah devastating it's different that was my story that is really all i have to contribute um would you like to get started Sure, you want to dive on in? I do. I want to not jump off the Brooklyn Bridge because that would be very super dangerous. This joke will make sense later, but actually we might not want to dive into it. I'll I'll explain. Uh, So, Uh, uh, (laughs) the Brooklyn Bridge. The construction of the Brooklyn Bridge took 14 years and multiple lives is the title of the History.com article about it. But I just thought that was very encapsulating of the entire story. (laughs) On the day of the unveiling, the Brooklyn Eagle wrote, To every human undertaking, there seems to be necessity, there seems of necessity to be a dark side. I know. So this subject wasn't boring. I'm I'm taking it. I was worried I was giving you something boring. No, 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 no. I didn't know anything about this, so beforehand so i think maybe it like you, you you're right it sound it did sound boring on the outside but like i i trusted you that it wasn't boring and i i do want to say i listened to our last week's episode and at one point you mentioned like and then somebody died and their wife had to take over and i was like ooh <laughs> i feel like i need to say the like ooh of excitement was just like yay a woman <laughs> not oh not like i didn't mean to be like ooh, a man died, died. <laughs> like, cheers for all the deaths of men okay <laughs> no no i know that's not what you meant that is funny though yeah 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 assistant engineer cc martin said in the same article Had we thought so many would have been injured, we would have kept a list, but we never imagined (laughs) anyone would be hurt or that the bridge would have occupied so long a time in building. So literally, basically, many, many people were injured, and we don't even really know how many because they didn't keep record of it. Because every time someone got hurt, they were like, well, that was was a one-off. Like, (laughs) (laughs) That definitely won't happen again, yeah. (laughs) The number of men killed in the construction of the bridge varies depending on the source. 
Author David McCullough says 21, uh, 20, 21 men died, most of them mm-hmm. immigrants. Another report says 27. Mm-hmm. One person estimated that the number could be as high as 40. And I do think David McCullough makes an interesting point there that uh, a, a lot of these workers were immigrants, many of them Irish, German. Right. right. Lots of... Um, working class people who, you know, like, oh, a job helping build a bridge? Sounds like a good opportunity. Nope, death trap. Before the building of the Brooklyn Bridge, the only way to go from Brooklyn to New York was via ferry. Mm-hmm. And the ferry, you could continue to take ferry boats across instead of the bridge for many years after, I think until about the 1940s. But this is now the main mode of transport. The main engineer was a man named John Augustus Roebling. And he was the engineer. He was a German immigrant. And he thought of the design for the construction um, many years before, in 1852. He was like, oh, I, yeah, he just thought of what, it, what a good design for it would be. But it wasn't until 1867 that the New York State Senate passed a bill allowing for the bridge to be built. And then after that, a team of trustees and directors and various other heads of building and leaders of the project were assembled. Right. Mm-hmm. John Augustus Roebling was kept as the main engineer. They were like, oh, you, you know what to build? We'll do what you want. Oh, he was a kind of well-known engineer. He had designed... Uh, several other suspension bridges before this, though none of those were as long as the Brooklyn Bridge. Mm -hmm. It took a few years for the construction to begin because, you know, they had to plan everything out and secure funding and materials. Right. So they didn't start building until two years later in 1869. But before construction even began, we had the first fatality of the Brooklyn Bridge, because our man, the engineer, John Augustus Roebling, was walking along the Brooklyn waterfront surveying the area where the building was about to take place when his foot got caught in a rope and he was (gasps) crushed by a docking boat. (gasps) Yeah, I know. Uh, (laughs) Not a good way to start, my friend. No, no, not at all. Two of his toes had to be amputated and it... He... Didn't die right away, but he developed tetanus about a month later from his injuries and passed away. Oh, my God. He, however, had a 32-year-old son named Washington Roebling, who was left in charge of the project and made the new main engineer. Uh Construction officially began on January 2nd, 1870. The first year and a half went by without fatality. I do think it... The process took a lot longer, pretty much up front, um, mm-hmm. than they anticipated it to to take. And the whole thing took fourteen years, and I don't I don't know how many years they thought it would take, but definitely not that many. Right. Uh, a couple. I, I mean, I'm sure they had a lot of um, pauses in construction because of safety issues and because of you know the deaths that were occurring. But also a couple. Um, points I read about were that the materials were just a lot heavier than they anticipated Mm -hmm. and, you know, little things like that that they didn't really plan for. 
Right. So the whole thing was just, you know, it, it was a mess. But again, the first year and a half went by without fatality, at least. I'm sure there was some injury, but no fatalities. The first um, death occurred on October 23rd, 1871. A pair of derricks, which I didn't know what that was, but it's like a crane, um, was used to haul granite blocks to the top of the bridge tower on the Brooklyn side, and they wow. suddenly fell. Oh. One man named John McGarity died while attempting to leap to safety. Another man named Doherty, first name not listed, was instantly crushed by a Derek Mast. A man named John French, oh, hold on, this one's, this is gross. Um, he had the top half of his head completely seared off <gasps> by a wooden beam <gasps> that just <gasps> came swinging. <gasps> Sarah! <laughs> I a wooden beam? Oh my god. Yeah. Oh no. I maybe I should have give give a little more warning before that one came. And then a stonemason named Thomas Douglas died later on from injuries sustained during this event. Now let's talk about caissons. Cause I still don't know if I fully understand what they are, but from what I gather. It is an airtight chamber uh-huh. that is open at the bottom. Yes. And it's used for when you need to build stuff that the foundation is going to be underwater. So okay. they wanted to establish a foundation at the floor of the water under the book <clears throat> under yeah, under the water. So essentially picture like a giant tube. Uh-huh. That is just like stuck down into the water, and then the water is taken out from the center of it, uh-huh. and it's like the bottom of it is sort of a, in some cases, and I think in this one the bottom is sort of a dome, okay, that goes downward, and so the water is all is taken out from the center, and a group of men who were nicknamed sand hogs, which is just sort of a name for like miners and people who dig, um, they go down to the bottom. And dig out the ground underneath the bottom, and the whole thing like gradually moves down. Okay. So the whole thing can be brought like further and further into the ground. Uh, I had trouble picturing it first, so if you do too, I, I understand. But the essential point is that men were down below the ground under a lot of water digging, right, to try and establish a, um, a foundation for this bridge. Now, the big issue is that. Um, the sand dog, the, the sand hogs uh, were burrowing really deep under the water and they began to experience muscular paralysis, okay. slurred speech, vomiting, chills, and excruciatingly sharp joint pains and stomach cramps upon coming back up to the surface. Okay. We understand now that there was already a great deal of atmospheric pressure working down there as well as stifling heat, but the pressure was more than doubled because they were pumping in this compressed air in order to make sure that the workers had enough oxygen to breathe and also to keep the whole thing watertight and to keep water out. Okay. And, um, so they wouldn't, you know, right. get crushed and drown. Right. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So because there was all this increased pressure, what the workers were experiencing is what we refer to now as the bends. Mm, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm following. Which, for this reason, is called Kaysen's disease, because of these men who were working in Kaysen's 
experienced it. I don't think it's, I don't think this is by far the only incident where men who are working in caissons got this disease, but this is definitely one case of that happening. So for those who don't know, the bends is when your body experiences a rapid decrease in pressure and it causes nitrogen to bubble in your bloodstream. Oh, God, sounds terrible. I know. And that is why divers have to resurface slowly because if you like, if you're diving really deep underwater, which Sarah would never, <laughs> um, but then you, I would never, but it sounds like a terrible no. idea for you. <laughs> but when you come up really fast, your body kind of freaks out and you develop the bends. So in, on April 22nd of 1872, a German laborer named John Myers suffered severe abdominal pain and collapsed while he was at home after just his second day of working down in the caissons. Oh. He was the first of the workers to die of the bends. Side note, uh, when reading the History.com article about all this, there was a headline that I need to go back and read entitled, The Dark Story of How Scientists Used Goats to Solve the Bends, which, ooh, that doesn't sound great. No, it sounds terrible. I'm, I'm assuming they just experimented on goats and forced them to go deep down underwater, and that sounds, you know, not good. Within a month, two more men... Uh, Patrick McKay and Daniel Reardon, who were both Irish immigrants, also died of the bends. They were supposed to keep digging until they reached bedrock of the river to establish a really strong foundation for the bridge. Uh -huh. But Washington Roebling worried that there could be, he said, up to 100 more fatalities. So he put a pause on the digging and ultimately decided not to dig as deep as originally intended. Okay. Mm -hmm. Roebling himself had spent many hours down below the surface with the workers, monitoring everything that was going on, and um, I hope helping, but probably not. Probably. Um, but sadly, he also contracted the bends, and he didn't die from it, but he was bedridden and spent the rest of his life in pretty terrible pain. Yeah. So... Many consider, like, this project to have killed his father and then, like, permanently affected his um, mm. quality of life. They, this sounds like out of a movie, but they placed him in a spot where he could watch the construction with a telescope. Okay, that's a choice. Mm -hmm. Yep. But, so while he was technically in charge, he conveyed instructions to his wife, Emily. Oh, who is, like, the hero of this whole story. Like, she took oh, over after that. This yeah. is the person you were talking about. So her husband didn't die, but her husband was bedridden, and her father-in-law did die. But she okay. sort of inherited this position. And while he was officially in charge, she was a smart lady on her own, and I'm sure she, like, took his instructions and then got there and would be like, okay, here's what we should do based on what he said, but I also have information of my own. Right. Yeah. Not to say that it went flawless from there. During the <laughs> no, of course it didn't. During the construction of the towers, the men had to climb more than 275 feet above the water. Several experienced dizziness from being that high and fell to their deaths. Oh. Some men were killed because pieces of stone and granite were accidentally dropped, Jeez. which crushed the people down below. Um, another Irish-born worker named Neil Mullen, well, this is a sad story, he, he was a mason, and was a widower with five children. He was killed three days before Christmas in 1877. Aww. I know, his poor kids. 
Uh, they were constructing the arches to support the roadway portion of the bridge, and they had put in these temporary wooden supports while they were building the mortar supports, mm-hmm. and they it, they removed the wooden supports too early, and the mortar hadn't properly set, and so everything collapsed, and he was crushed. That's terrible. So, this is a sad I know, story. But, I know. A few months later, one of the strands of the bridge cable snapped from the Manhattan anchorage and struck two men. They were named Thomas Black and Harry Supple. And Harry Supple was from Newfoundland. Interesting. Um, Both of these men... You know, both pronunciations I've heard. (laughs) You've heard people call it Newfoundland? Newfoundland? Yeah. Okay, I believe you since you live closer to there, but I'm sus. I have heard Newfoundland and I have heard Newfoundland. I promise you. Okay. All right. I don't know which is correct. I feel like Newfoundland is probably like, I don't know. It flows easier. So it's okay. Well, the show (laughs) come from away, which is about Newfoundland. Um, and they interviewed, um, people from there. They said Newfoundland. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go with that. Well, yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Anyway. Well, Harry Supper, Harry Supple was from there. Although he was, you know, hit with this bridge cable and him and Thomas Black, they fell from the bridge because of this and they died. Okay, this is considered by some to be the most gruesome injury that occurred. In 1873, a German rigger named Peter Cope accidentally had his leg caught in a rope that was wound around a hoisting engine. And I don't have very specific details other than his leg was completely crushed and... Luckily for him, I guess he died pretty instantly, so he wasn't in like in horrible pain. But apparently, it was like a pretty gruesome sight to see, and people were yeah, yeah, it wasn't pleasant. That's very sad. Yeah. So again, as the guy noted in that article, they didn't really keep a very good record of all of the injuries that occurred. So there could have been many more. There could have been. Uh, but the range is about like 20 to maybe at the most 50. Right. But most of the injuries were people were crushed or they fell. The actual day that it was finally announced to be complete was May 24th, 1883. There were fireworks to mark the occasion. And everybody was so excited because at the time it was the longest suspension bridge ever built. And it was considered the eighth wonder of the world. Mm. But at the same time, that article from the Brooklyn Eagle came out about this whole process being dark and long and deadly, and nobody really trusted this bridge yet. Uh, In fact, because there was, like, public distrust of this bridge uh, as a publicity stunt to, like, boost the image, they brought in P.T. Barnum and told him he could advertise his circus. And he brought... yeah. (laughs) <laughs> he brought his most <laughs> that guy. Uh, he brought his oh, most God. famous attraction, Jumbo the Elephant, and oh. he had Jumbo lead a parade of twenty-one elephants across the bridge to demonstrate how sturdy it was. This was about ten days before. This was on May fourteenth, and on t- May twenty-fourth, they were like, "We're done." So this must have happened when they were like almost done, you know, right. putting the final touches on it. Yeah. So on May 31st, we think everything's fine. The construction's over. Everything seems to be completed. But 
on May 31st of 1883, there was this grand unveiling that the public was invited to. There was a lot of excitement because there was this elevated promenade that on the was on the bridge, and everybody was really excited to walk across it and experience it. And it was estimated that 15 to 20,000 people were walking across the bridge at once. Oh, that's a lot of yep. people. Is that safe? Yeah. Well, the weight, I don't think, was an issue. But the crowding definitely 100% was. Yeah. And <laughs> there was this narrow staircase on the Manhattan side. And there was sort of a log jam of foot traffic. And a woman slipped and fell down the stairs. <gasps> and as she, I know... Oh, Sarah, it gets so much worse. Um, as she fell, she screamed, and many people heard a woman screaming, and they didn't know the reason. And again, you're on a very newly built bridge with thousands of people on it, and there's already a reputation of this bridge not being super safe. So people panicked and tried to run as fast as possible off of the bridge, and it resulted in this horrible trampling. Um one eyewitness account, which sounds almost cartoonish, um, he, they said that um, people were packed so tightly and squished, and sorry, this is gross, but they said blood was um, gushing from people's noses and ears because they were, like, being squished so tightly. No! <laughs> I, know, I know. I know. That sounds, like, not real, but I, I believe it that people were horribly injured. Um, and one witness was quoted to say, within a few minutes, there was a pile of crushed and bleeding pieces of humanity at the foot of each flight of stairs, and the panic-stricken crowd continued to trample them to death. I'm panicking right now. Yeah. The New, York's the New York Tribune reported that 12 people died as a result of the stampede. Oh, my God. And I'm sure many more were injured. So, you know, after this horrible long process of the building of this bridge they got off to a really great start day one after that they went back to work on the bridge installing emergency phone boxes and additional railings and the brooklyn bridge company was actually sued for negligence but they were acquitted but they still you know it was kind of a pr nightmare so they still wanted mm -hmm. to put on a big public show of continuing construction of the bridge in order to make it seem like they were making it safer, which they probably were like, they probably were helping a little bit. Um, but again, it took a, a while for this bridge to be the main way, um, the main method of going from one area to the other. People relied on the ferries for a while after that, because people did not trust this bridge. Right. They were like, bad things happen. Nor there. would I, I've never walked across it. And now maybe I don't want to. I think I have. I think that was the bridge I walked across with my mom. It's the, it was either that or the Williamsburg Bridge. It might have been the Williamsburg Bridge, actually. Was it Brown? No. Then that was not the Brooklyn Bridge. <laughs> then it's probably the Williamsburg probably, Bridge, yeah. which beat out the Brooklyn Bridge for the world's longest suspension bridge, interestingly enough. Oh, that is very cool. So Washington Roebling, the main engineer, uh, couldn't physically go to the bridge because he was bedridden, um, but he threw a big party at his house and everybody went and said hi and his wife emily roebling is really considered to be the hero of the project yeah. um i don't know if you could call her a hero because it's still everything still went really poorly but yeah you know, she she did her best considering 
she wasn't right. planning on taking on this position and and a man died and another man was like horribly injured so she had to do it right i have a little bit more information about emily roebling because i just thought she was a cool lady and wanted to learn more about her after the completion of the brooklyn bridge she invested her time in several women's causes including oh. the committee of statistics of the new jersey Board of Lady Managers, which sounds like a fun group. <laughs> I love uh, them. For the World's Columbian Exposition. Oh, very cool. Yeah. She was also on the Committee of Cirrhosis and the Daughters of the American Revolution, the George Washington Memorial Association, and it, it's listed that Evelyn College is among her committees, so I don't know if she attended that school or if she was just on the committee of the college. She was also a participant of many social organizations, uh -huh. such as the Relief Society during the Spanish-American War. Oh. And she traveled a lot throughout the world. In 1896, she was presented to Queen Victoria. Oh. And, yeah, she was in Russia at the time of the coronation of Tsar Nicholas II. That's super cool. Yeah. She also continued her education and went on to receive a law degree from New York University. Oh, shit. Yeah. Roebling is also known for this really influential essay that she wrote called A Wife's Disabilities, which won a lot of acclaim and awards. And in the essay, she argues for greater women's rights and uh, rallied against discriminatory practices targeted towards women. Mm -hmm. And tricky like sneaky woman she signed the essay with her husband's initials w-a-r oh. so when it was written like half the reason why it got so big was because people thought a man wrote it but no 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 but she spent many years of her life uh, with her family but she always kept socially and mentally active which i thought was great so she was a smart cool lady and there is a plaque on the brooklyn bridge that commemorates um her as well as her husband and her step and her father-in-law that's cool so she is not an unsung hero i would say yeah although she wasn't like the engineer but you know she, she did was, a lot of work she made sure it was finished yeah. she took over as the engineer yeah so, i wonder if roebling cool street is just named after that whole family or if it's like specifically her or her husband i don't know it could be that whole family yeah um, so that is my, it's not really a full report on the Brooklyn Bridge, but of the bad things that happened. Of the events, the yeah. Bridge. That yeah. was the events uh, of the Brooklyn Bridge. Yeah. I'm glad that nowadays we have, you know, like, uh, OSHA <laughs> and a lot more yeah. like things that are <laughs> trying to protect workers. Right. And, Keep them safe. I'm sure there's still a lot more work to be done. Right. Support your local um, unions, folks. Yeah, absolutely. 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 But, oh boy. Um, yeah. That was a time. Uh, so, for our middle segment, I discovered a game on TikTok that I sent to Sarah mm -hmm. that... I think we would be good at, but I don't know. I have to tell we, you very honestly that multiple of my friends have sent me this, have sent me the <gasps> and you were not the first, but it's okay. It's all right. <laughs> I'm sorry, Jane. Um, you were not the first. However, I'm willing to play it with all of my friends and I won't tell them who I was the best at it with, but now this one will live in recording. So just be aware of that. I'm, 
Well, now I feel silly. No, don't feel silly. Don't feel silly. <laughs> I love games. I'll play a game with anybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so the game is called Got It. And from what I can tell, we just say like one, two, three, and then Sarah and I both say whatever word comes to our mind. Mm-hmm. And from there, we hear, we, we say them at the same time. Mm-hmm. And we listen to what the other person said, and we remember what we said, and we try and think, okay, what's the other person going to say next? Right. And we continue to say, do like one, two, three, say a word at the same time until we say the same word. word. Yeah. And we try to just like follow the patterns of of the thought processes. It can that also are be a short phrase. It doesn't have to be a word. Emerge. Yeah. Or like a title of something. Right. Or like a person or a phrase. Yeah. Right. But it's, like, a thing, you know? Mm-hmm. I always the, feel a lot of pressure with the first phrase to, like, say something interesting. <laughs> oh, I literally have... I wrote down a list of words to be, like, I could say this or this or this. Oh. But they're all such mundane, like, nouns. <laughs> okay. Let's just see what I'm happens. just going to close my eyes, take a deep breath, and manifest a word. Okay. okay. Should we do one, two, three, then say it? Yeah. Wait, let me think for okay. a second. Let me just... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> My brain is already doing stupid stuff. I just came up with the word cumulonimbus. Don't say that. Oh my god. <laughs> Don't say that. <laughs> say anything. That wouldn't be terrible. That I that would get me into like clouds, but I don't know understand why you wouldn't just say clouds. <laughs> I don't know. My brain is like, let's make it complex. So I'm like, let's not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Okay. Okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. Ready? <laughs> Okay, here we go. Mm-hmm. Are we doing one, two, three, or three, two, one? Whichever. Okay. Let's do three, two, one. I like it better. Okay. Okay, ready? Right. I'm nervous. Okay. Three, <laughs> two, two, one. one. Dungeons umbrella. and Dragons. <laughs> okay. Okay, yeah. you said umbrella. I said Dungeons and Dragons. Okay, all right. All okay, right. okay. All right. Three, two, two, two one. One. Thunderstorm. Wizard. <laughs> okay we're already off to a great start okay okay here we, here we go here we go three three two, two one one zeus lightning oh we're getting oh. close okay we're getting close, we're getting close. okay ready okay three two two one, one. percy jackson <laughs> dang it this is harder because there's a delay on Zoom, too. Okay. Is there? Jackson. Okay. I said Percy Jackson, you said Hercules. Okay. 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 All right. Oh, gosh. Um. All right. <sighs> okay. I'm nervous. Okay. Ready? Okay. Three. One, three. Two. Two. One. Hera. Hera. <laughs> Did you just start saying Hera because I started saying Hera? No, that was kind of in my mind. I was like, I could say that, but I don't think it would be good. But I think I just, maybe I did hear you say it. <laughs> maybe this is too- But I did think of that before. It wasn't like out of nowhere. Right. You weren't like, oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, no, you knew it. You okay. knew it. Okay. Okay. okay, good job. We did it. Oh, I love that we went into like mythology right away. Oh, yeah. Mwah. Yeah. Okay. Loved it. Okay, beautiful. Should we do it one more time? Mm-hmm. Okay. Sure. Okay, ready? <laughs> Three. Okay. okay. Three, <laughs> two, three. Two, one. one. Elsa. Target. 
Okay. Okay. <laughs> Elsa at a Target. All right. I'm I'm with you. I'm with you. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. 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 Um, ready? <laughs> yep. Three. Three. Two. Two. One. One. Candles. Blanket. Oh. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. All we're right, on right. the same. We're on the same thought pattern. We are. We are. We are. Okay. Ready? Okay. Three. Three. Two, two, one, one, cozy. cozy. <gasps> <gasps> <laughs> wow, I loved that. I loved that. I can't believe we did it in just three. We did it in wow. three. Oh my gosh, I'm so proud of us. Now our minds are melded together. So cool. Wow. Good job. I feel Good like job you read us. my mind. Oh yeah, I feel like you read mine. That was amazing. I even like because I said blanket and you said candle. I was like, my first thought is the word cozy, but I feel like that's not exactly candle. So no, she candle might be is like, cozy. Why would you say cozy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Candle's absolutely cozy. Yeah. Have you seen those discussions online? That's like things that equal each other, and it's like Thursday equals November. And- <laughs> I have not, but I agree. Uh, it's like, the one discussion that I love that I saw people like get into was what folders you would assign to what like subject. Oh, what color? And it was like, yeah, yeah, what color? Green and was everyone science. was like, oh, green is one hundred percent science. Green is science. But what do they that, say? That was the that was the debate. Is everyone agreed red is math? Oh, you know what? No, math's not red. English is red. <gasps> English is red. Sarah. And math is blue. I feel so strong. And history was to that. <laughs> Oh no, friendship over. The belt. <laughs> and thus the belt. I'm anti that. <laughs> anti oh that. Gosh. Why? No, English is re- no. What? No, math red. is red. What's I don't that? know what you're talking about. That's ridiculous. Math is red. It is not. I'm gonna ask my also English is blue. Like none of this is it's not a I don't even know. It's like auras, you know? It's just like math is the aura of red and Yeah, but you have to keep in mind that when I was a child, I liked I liked English and I didn't like math. So English was red. And then because red was my favorite color. <laughs> Why would I make math mm-hmm. my favorite color? Okay. But yellow was always history or like geography or anything of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of science, are you ready to hear about women in science? Yes, 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 yes. Okay. Oh, you know who I taught my kids about today? Katherine Johnson, who was oh. involved in science, but she was a mathematician. Well, yes, this is going to be like women. This is like STEM women. Cool. Love well, it. Um, which I'm not talking about any of the more famous ones like Katherine Johnson and Marie Curie. I'm mm-hmm. talking about I, people who I had personally never heard of, who I think are the lesser knowns. Um, people are like unsung heroes. It, That's what I want. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. There are definitely some of those. So mm-hmm. I decided that I'm going to do like short snippets about some people and just be like, oh, this was love it. This because I'd rather like do that and then like maybe inspire a future episode where like we could spend a long time talking about these women than be like, I'm going to like haphazardly do, um, I'm not, that's not the word I'm looking for. I'm going to be half assed and about like maybe four of them and then be like and now I've covered it which like I also don't think is fair so I'm just gonna do like short things that like will hopefully inspire further research and information 
And most of this information comes from 50 Women in Science by Rachel Ignatovsky. You've seen the book. It's like, it's like a book that's made for children, except I'd say the reading, the suggested read along rule is 10 to 17, but it's got like pretty pictures and like a decorated cover and it's a cute book. Um, and most of my information comes from that. Nice. Um, and if you do have the book and you happen to know who's in it, I'm just going to tell you that anyone I skipped over was not for a particular reason. Um, you know, I wasn't like, and I hate this person. I can't think of a name example right now, but it, that was not for a reason. It just was like, I feel like I've already covered a story that's kind of similar, or I prioritize mm-hmm. um, talking about women of color. So nice. Here we go. But I'm going to start with some t- statistics. In 2011, women made up 48% of the total workforce. This was from the 2010 census. We don't have this information from the 2020 census yet, but I'm assuming we will soon. Um, Which meant that the gender gap for the total American workforce at the time was only 4%. I I am assuming that bar COVID-19, this like closed a little bit in the last 10 years. Oh, I heard that the co- the pandemic was just terrible for women in the workforce. Right, like, but the census... We've the, made so much progress and we lost a lot of it. Right, but the census, for the most part, was completed before COVID or it was, mm-hmm. like, happening during... Okay. So I don't know how COVID's going to affect that data, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that same year, 2011, 39% of science and engineering graduates in the U.S. were women, um, making the gender gap 22%. Um, for graduating from a STEM major, but only 24% of the STEM workforce was comprised of women, meaning there was a gender gap of a preposterous 52% in 2011. Mm-hmm. Research in the U.S. shows mm-hmm. that 40% of women who graduate with an engineering degree either never enter the profession or eventually leave it. So even though there are a, there's a good percentage of women graduating with STEM degrees, uh, there's a very small percentage of them using it. Mm. Globally, 53% of bachelor's and master's graduates are women. So over half, pretty good. Um, but only 30.7 of researchers are female. And mm. for most people, like, you know, science, the research is a huge part of it. So again, it shows that while many people are earning this degree, there's not many people applying it. Between 1970 and 2011, the social science field went from 17 to 61% female, and it's not very surprising that the social sciences are where um, are female-dominated. Mathematical studies went from 15% to 47% female. Life and physical sciences, this includes medicine, went from 14% to 41% female. Um, computer work actually peaked in female participation at around 35% in the 1990s, but now in, or in 2011 was only 27% female and engineers only went from 3% to 13% female in 2011. And I just want to say that having female engineers is monumentally important considering engineers pretty much design our everyday lives. So it might seem like an innocuous thing to be like, like, yes, obviously we want a gender representation in all fields, but I do think it's especially important in engineering considering like they literally design how our lives work. Uh, I was just saying that I rant regularly about whenever men complain about like, Oh, women takes so along in the bathroom and that's why their lines are so much longer. It's like, no, it's because literally bathrooms are designed for men. And then they just take the blueprint for men's bathrooms and 
do the same thing for women, but give us the same number of stalls, even though we need arguably twice as many. Right. Because they also have urinals. Absolutely. You're super right. Um, and that's just, and that's just one example of that particular thing, yeah. but yeah, that's super true. So let's talk about some female scientists. The first known female scientist was Hypatia of Alexandria. She is the earliest recorded female mathematician, and she was born somewhere between 350 and 370 CE to a well-known Greek scholar, Theon, and she grew up and lived in Egypt. Hypatia's father was one of the last members of the Library of Alexandria, and she was alive when the Library of Alexandria tragically was destroyed, which is very sad. Mm. Um, Hypatia invented a new version of the hydrometer, which was um, probably her most uh, memorable achievement. Um, but she was also an expert in Platonic philosophy, and she was very popular with the Greeks and would travel around orating Plato's theories um, and was well known for that. But nice. in Alexandria at the time she was alive, there were many tensions between the pagans, the Jews, and the Christians. And as a pagan, she became a target of the Christians. Um, and unfortunately, she was killed by an angry mob in, in 415 <gasps> CE. Um, the, it was a mob of extremists. Um, but actually, this served to, like, sort of further her reputation. And now she's very infamous because she was oh, yeah. by an angry mob. Whereas she might have just been, like, a philosopher that kind of disappeared into um, history. But instead, she is, was well-remembered for being murdered. Um, and she is remembered today in Raphael's painting, The School of Athens, which she might be the only female. It's kind of hard to tell who's a male and who's a female in the painting, I think, because they all have long hair. Um, but she is in the painting, which is very cool. <laughs> mm. Cool. Mar yeah. Maria Sibylla Marion was born in 1647, and she became interested in insects, which I would never book up for her. Uh, I don't know why I thought you were going to say incest. No, no, there are none of those. <laughs> Um, oh, good. <laughs> of those. Um, but she thought at the time, not she, she didn't think this, but at the time that she was doing the study, people thought insects were manifestations of the devil. They didn't understand what they were. And mm -hmm. most of the studies of insects were done after they had died. But she illustrated um, different stages of her favorite insect's life by like following them around in her gardens or whatever. And she would go observe living ones. And she became particularly interested in butterflies. Um, and at the time, they did not know that butterflies were linked to caterpillars at all. But in 1679, oh my gosh. yeah, in 1679, she published a book on metamorphosis. Um, and this is my favorite part. The best Hilary Duff album. Yes. Just kidding. <laughs> she, well, maybe, well, actually. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> um, Marion published a book on metamorphosis. Then she left her husband and took her children to Holland. <gasps> Um, and there in Holland, she joined a strict religious group, which I got little information about, but I want more. Um, but that religious group had ties to um, the South American colony, Suriname. And after the, the religious group had kind of died out, she traveled to Suriname with her children when she was 52 years old and documented never-before-seen bugs in Europe, obviously. <laughs> they, they, they saw them in South America. Um, 
And the documentation of these bugs led to the publication of the Metamorphosis of the Insects of Suriname, which was a very notable book in entomology and really informed a lot of people on the life cycle of bugs and what bugs were like and their features and their habitats. Um, and the fact that she was willing to spend time with them and illustrate living bugs contributed significantly to our understanding of entomology. So we have a lot to thank for her for in terms of bug studies. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks i love bug studies <laughs> i i remember having a friend on the um a, that was a biology major at, at muhlenberg and she was like yeah, i'm taking entomology and i was like what's that she was like it's the study of bugs and i was like i'm gonna vomit and she was like i love it <laughs> I was like, I, clearly bio is not meant for me in 1678 elena piscopia was the first woman in the world to receive a phd Oh, yeah, very cool. Wow. Yeah, she lived in Venice. She was a Venetian philosopher. Wang Zhenyi was a Chinese scholar during the Qing Dynasty in the late 1700s. Zhenyi built a model to understand eclipses using a mirror, a lamp, and a globe, which she attached ropes to and would spin the things around until she figured out that eclipses were the moon blocking out the light or the earth blocking out the light, which is super cool or not the earth the sun i love that eclipses are so cool yeah they're very cool um fun fact she was also an accomplished archer and horseback rider and she studied the chinese calendar and used her telescope to measure the stars updating the count and placement of stars um for the chinese calendar which is very cool and she tragically died at the age of 29 but before she died she published a five volume guide on calculation for beginners before her death super cool baby i've been i've been losing sleep in 1715 count, count yeah stars. i get it he's counting stars <laughs> in <laughs> In 1715, Sibylia Masters was the first woman to get a patent for her invention, which cleaned and processed corn. Mary Anning, Anning was a female paleontologist. When she was 12, she discovered, when she was 12, I'm going to say that again, okay? 12 years old. She discovered the first complete ichthyosaur skeleton ever discovered. 12 years old. She was like, hey, look what I found. You know, me too. She also went on to discover two plesiosaur skeletons. And the discovery of these fossils <gasps> helped prove that extinction is possible contrary to popular belief. So most people at the time were like, no, animals exist forever. And she was like, no, they don't. I have found these fossils. <laughs> now, because she was a woman, she was forbidden to like publicly study or publish anything about her mm-hmm. philo- and her fossil findings. So she would sell the fossils to like rich men so that she could continue going out on digs. Um, but she was forbidden to publish mm-hmm. any of her findings because she was a woman. But doctors and geologists would use her ideas and edit out her names, which edit out her name, which is really ah. um, but she did posthumously get credit for her work, but they were like. They, she essentially would sell her findings to them because she couldn't publish them herself. Very sad. Elizabeth Blackwell, mm-hmm. Elizabeth Blackwell, who you might have heard of, was the first female medical doctor in the U.S. She pushed fervently for better hygiene in hospitals, which possibly came about because she lost sight in one of her eyes from an infection when she was only 28 years old. And so she is sometimes depicted wearing an eye patch. Um, but even mm-hmm. so, she went on to be a surgeon. 
A fun fact about her. Nice. She was only accepted into Geneva Medical College as a practical joke, but she showed up anyway. They were like, well, you accepted me, so I'm going. And she graduated first in her class, which is amazing. And she was I the love first that. woman. Yeah, she was the first woman to attend. Blackwell also founded the Women's Medical College of the New York Infirmary in 1868 and the London School of Medicine for Women in 1874, where she taught gynecology. Somebody's got to. It's important. We need Somebody's it. Somebody's got to. Okay. Karen Horney, which you're going to find out is an appropriate name, <laughs> uh, challenged the psychology <gasps> of none other than... Freud. She resented Freud's <gasps> ideas that women suffered from, quote, penis envy and dedicated her life to <laughs> women's studies, inventing feminist psychology. Like, truly, she invented it. Um, she also coined the phrase womb envy to describe the actions of men, um, <laughs> which I just love. Um, and she created the theory of neurosis and essentially gave the textbook definition for anxiety. She was the one that figured out that people had anxiety, not because of a medical problem, but because of a social issue, oh. <laughs> which like now we know, but of course at the time they were like, oh, if there's something medically wrong with you, if you feel anxious. And she was like, nope. Um, and her form of therapy was called neo-Freudian therapy, which she received a lot of backlash for, um, and was essentially ostracized from the, um, from like other the psychology community but her ideas lived on and people really pushed for her ideas about feminism and psychology it's very cool yay Nettie Stevens was a geneticist and she discovered the existence of XY and XX chromosomes in bugs um, which she then <sighs> continued to look for in other animals and essentially proved the theory that gender is biologically determined and how most people at the time didn't understand mm -hmm. how gender came about. And they believed those old, old wives tales. Like if you eat a lot of grapes, then you'll get pregnant with a boy or something like that. Mm -hmm. But she proved that it was um, a, a result of biology. Her book studies in, or her art, her work studies in spermatogenesis was overlooked at the time but it is now considered very important in understanding and furthering the study of sex biology. Mary Agnes yeah. Chase is one of the most important agro agrostologists ever. Now, what do you think agrostology is? Well, agro sounds like plants, mm -hmm. but stology, agrostology. Um, well, you're putting like in plant breeding. No, you're really close. Agro, the fact that you got agros, I was, I did not know that that was, that's what that prefix meant. So good for you. You're so smart. Well, like agriculture. Oh yes. It's it's spelled A-G-R-O, not A-G-R-I. So I didn't put it together, but yeah, you're super right. Mm. Oh, agristology. Agristology is the study of grass. Oh, that's so pure. <laughs> I know, it really is. And this woman is like, she lived to be like very old and frail. And like, I just, I just adore her. She's like my grandma. Um, she proved that there are different types of grass all over the world. She literally traveled the world studying grass. Um, and she determined which ones are best for farming and advised people as such. Um, Chase was also a fervent suffragist. Uh, she was almost fired by the U.S. Department of Agriculture in 
1918, despite being one of the most, probably the most important agritologist of her time. She was almost fired because she <laughs> participated in a hunger strike for women's rights. She was also a very active member of the NAACP. So in addition to being an incredible um, biologist, she also was very involved in politics, which is super cool. Nice. Yeah. Lisa, Lisa Meitner, who was a Viennese physicist, discovered nuclear fission with her lab partner, Otto Hahn, in Germany in the 1930s. But she was forced to leave Germany when the Nazis rose to power because she was Jewish. Um, but Otto continued their work mm. in Germany without her. Because she was unable to return during World War II for obvious reasons, Otto was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for their collaborative work in 1944 without her. Her name was not on it, even though they worked together. Mm. Um, and following <gasps> no. this, Lisa never forgave Germany for the systematic murder of the Jews during World War II, and she never returned to Germany, so she never claimed her prize, essentially. Yeah, um, but she's still remembered um, for really discovering nuclear fission and contributing to our understanding of nuclear energy in a major way. And the element mitnarium is named after her. Oh, in 1946, an all-female team programmed the first all-electronic computer, which I did not know it was an all-female team. And then one year later, Marie Daly became the first Black woman to earn a PhD in chemistry. Similar to Lisa Meitner's story, theoretical physicist Emmy no Noeter, she's a, she's also German, um, work, who worked with Albert Einstein at the University of Göttingen, was fired from her work there for being Jewish, um, but she continued to secretly teach from her apartment until she escaped to America in 1933. When she arrived in America, she began teaching at Bryn Mawr College. But unfortunately, she died only 18 months later at the age in at the age of 53. She was in her 50s. In 1935, Einstein wrote to the New York Times, Fraulein Noether was the most significant mathematical genius thus far produced since the higher education of women began. So he thought very, very highly of her. And she did contribute to his work. Alice Ball, a black chemist, was the first woman to graduate from the University of Hawaii, and she created the Ball method, which was the method of injecting patients with Chalmugra tree oil, um, which significantly improved the lives of people with leprosy and essentially made it a non-contagious, non-communicable disease. Um, so people with leprosy were no longer forced into exile. Um, it was a very big, very, very big nice. deal, and it's still used in treatments today. I'd heard of the I, ball method. until not that long ago thought leprosy was a not was not a real thing. Like I thought it was like a thing like zombies. Oh, just like a term. Yeah. No, it, it is a real yeah. it is a real disease, but um before Alice Ball it was very difficult to treat and essentially if you were diagnosed with leprosy, you were like sent into a quarantine zone. Yeah. You could never leave and you could never see your family again. And she changed that. Mm. This I thought was a really sweet story. Gertie Corey worked alongside her husband Carl um, for her entire life. They were they conducted experiments together on um, they did uh, like they were biologists. Um, I'm mm -hmm. using the term of what kind right at the moment. Maybe it'll come to me. Um, and her husband Carl would refuse jobs if he could not work with his wife. And the oh. 
in the, the in the book they were like the only thing Carl was more dedicated to than his science was his wife. It was like very sweet. Um, they together they discovered oh, how the body stores and uses energy, specifically sugar, and the effects of sugar on the body. And now the cycle oh. of burning and storing energy from lactose is called the Cori cycle, which is named after the two of them. Oh. And the two of them share their Nobel Prize for their discovery. Um, when Gertie got very sick in her 60s, Carl continued to carry her into their lab every day so that they could continue to work together. <laughs> it's very sweet. Okay, I'm crying now. Thanks. Okay. <laughs> it's very very sweet. Joan Beauchamp Proctor, a zoologist, proved that mimicking an animal's environment will make them more comfortable. So this is why we have art and painted scenery at zoos, because she realized it relaxed the animals um, and made them feel safer, and so they would behave more normally. That's really cute, though. It is really cute. She also designed a special thermometer that maintained a safe temperature for reptiles in reptile houses um, and essentially significantly oh. improved the lives of reptiles in captivity. And because of her, many reptiles that were becoming endangered because they were being captured ended up like coming back in very large numbers in captivity. That's nice. Not many people stand up for reptiles. No, they don't. Because they're not they're not the cutest of animals. No, because they're not snuggly. Someone's got to take care of yeah, them. Yeah, you got to take care they're of them. They're not snuggly. That's right. But you do got to take care yeah, of them. Yeah, they're, they're, they're animals too. They are. Mamie Phipps Clark, a psychologist and civil rights activist, proved that race is an integral part of a child's identity, which led to critical race theory that mm. proved the wrongness of segregation. She did this by presenting children with a black and white doll. She literally traveled the country doing this. And then she would ask them which one they wanted mm. to play with, which one was pretty, and which one was nice. And although black children identified with the black doll, they said, that doll looks like me, they also identified the black doll as ugly and bad. This proved uh. that segregation damaged children, and this study was used in Brown versus Board of Education to prove that it was psychologically detrimental to children to be segregated, which is very, like, obviously segregation was terrible, but that's a very cool study. Jane Cook yeah. Wright was an oncologist. Um, this woman's my hero. In the 1940s, when she graduated medical school, cancer was seen as a death sentence, but Jane developed research and treatment techniques that could catch cancer earlier, and she invented the chemotherapy drug cocktail. She also came up with a method that would deliver chemotherapy more easily to the area with the tumor. At the time, they, if an area had a tumor, they sometimes would have to remove the entire organ, but she figured out that using a catheter, mm. you could access um, a smaller part of the organ and target the tumor without having to remove or do invasive surgery. She was the first woman president of the New York Cancer Society, and she also co-funded the American Society of Clinical Oncology. Very awesome lady. Very helpful. Yeah. Rosalind saved a lot of lives. Absolutely. Rosalind Yellow conducted important research that delineated type 1 and type 2 diabetes. Diabetes. She was like, like, I've never heard of allobetes. <laughs> a new thing to be worried about. No, she de she delineated type 1 and type 2 diabetes. Within four years, mm -hmm. she published 60 research articles on endocrinology and discovered that insulin from cows and pigs would not work to treat diabetes in humans. Um, so she came up with oh. a new to retrieve insulin and figure out which one was the most important, which is amazing. 
Annie Easley was a computer programmer, mathematician, and rocket scientist. She worked at NASA to launch Sputnik in the 1950s, and she created one of the first computer programs that would help navigate a person in space. She also created a computer program that could measure solar winds, which laid the foundation for hybrid cars. Even before (gasps) it was on our mind. But that is, it's the same technology and computer program that we use to figure out how to make hybrid cars run, which is awesome. Speaking of space... Valentina Tereshkova was the first woman in space. Uh, she went to space for the USSR, which I know is a, is a sore subject for us Americans, but she did do it. <laughs> um, she or say, um, Sally Ride? Wait, no, 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 no. America wasn't the only one. <laughs> no, we weren't, we weren't the only ones. Yeah, yeah. She orbited the no. Earth a shocking 48 times in her... <gasps> In her journey, she came down and she said she was dizzy. And her photographs significantly <laughs> improved our her photographs significantly improved our understanding of the Earth's atmosphere because we got the same photos of the same we got photos of the same place over forty eight separate orbits, which is really cool. Um, and Valentina Tereshkova oh. is still alive today. She's like <gasps> almost ninety. Just in her she's in her eighties, but she's still alive. The idea that there are people who have just like been to space is so like <laughs> there are people in space right now. Yeah, there are people there right now, Jane. Oh, are they okay? I'm so worried for that. They're okay. I mean, that's not like a. Gl- I know they're doing really cool stuff. It's not like gl- I don't know. It's it not a gravity so situation up there. Like it's gonna be fine. I know, but it's like such thin walls between you and like nothingness. That's true. That's true. Patricia Bath was raised in Harlem, finished high school in two and a half years, and started doing cancer research at the age of sixteen years old. Ooh, young. Her research proved that African Americans were predisposed to vision problems like glaucoma, um, which she had seen in her community growing up in Harlem. So in Mm -hmm. over her many years of medical studies, she worked on um, an invention called the laser FACO probe, which she finished in 1986. And that removes cataracts. Um, So many, many people to this day have had their cataracts removed from their eyes. She is the reason that people are able to do that um and Mm -hmm. it's now a very you know successful surgery um and she also continues to fight for racial medical equality today she's also still alive nice obviously there are many more people that we can discuss i didn't mention katherine johnson i didn't mention marie curie um the actress hedy lamar was also an inventor like there are many others but these are just people who caught my attention who i thought had really interesting stories that i hadn't heard about before um, and have been, you know, kind of snubbed by yeah. um, major awards because, you know, someone else took the credit or women weren't allowed to ha- weren't allowed to take the credit for some reason. Um, but it's just something to think about uh, this National Women's Month. And, you know, any of those people, we could talk about some more. Or we could pick a new person to talk about more. But yeah. A little brief overview of women in science. Yay! Though I liked that. I liked that you picked a variety of like types of science. Yeah, I tried to like spread it out, yeah. you know, because science is many things. Yeah. Stuff. Sometimes when you say science, I'm like, ah, oh, yes, you go outside and you study plants. Like to me, biology is science, but even though I know that it's oh, not. Yeah. So, yeah, lots of types of science, lots of things you can do with it. 
Well, that's it mm-hmm. for this week. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at YKWIBW Podcast. You can check out our website, I've been wondering.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. And finally, if you have something you've been wondering, you can email us at I've been wondering podcast at gmail.com. Jane, next week is our 100th episode. <gasps> oh, yeah! So Jane and I will be picking our own topics to commemorate this 100th episode, which is super exciting. Um, And I know you already know what what you're going to talk about. And I, I I do do too. So we're in for a special treat. Yeah. Be a surprise for everyone. Yeah. And this Saturday is our two year anniversary since the first episode. It really it really is. Do you have um, a favorite favorite episode or a favorite moment? Oh, I don't know. Huh. I think about Gustav a lot. Uh. Really? That's so funny because that was the same episode as the Black Knight Satellite, and I would say that I think about that a lot. No, it wasn't. Gustav? Because I did both of those. Oh, you're right. You did. Oh, no. It was after you told me about the Black Knight Satellite that I asked you about Gustav. Oh. Mm-hmm. It was the next oh, episode. But I, I, I th- I think about Gustav a lot. I think about the Black Knight Satellite a lot. Um, I'm trying to think of ones that you covered because you've done some good ones too. Um, <laughs> well, my, well, my, micro- I mean, you also- my microphone is literally falling off the table right now, so I'm like holding it. Oh my God. <laughs> um, I don't know. What are some of yours? I'll keep thinking. What are some of mine? Yeah. Um, obviously, the Bird Truthers was and remains <gasps> a classic. Oh my gosh, the bird truthers. And that was yes, episode that six. That was a very good one. That was episode that six. That was early. Yeah. yeah. But it remains a classic in my mind. Um, it really does. What else? What else? Oh, the bird truthers was good. Um, oh, yep. Yeah, nope. That's officially unattached. Okay. I'm just holding my mic now. Um, <laughs> I can hear it uh, <laughs> falling all over the place. Um, Clanging around. I'm going through our, um, I, I'm such a nerd. I really enjoyed learning about Yugoslavia and what happened to it. Like I really did. (laughs) Um, that was a good one for me. I also, I loved, oh, I loved covering the Mongol empire. I thought that was so interesting. Oh, that was cool. That was a good one uh, that I really enjoyed doing. I love, obviously all the conspiracies were fun. Like when you talked about the Denver airport conspiracy, that was great. (gasps) <gasps> oh that place is nuts okay uh. yeah i think i'd say those are those are a couple of my faves of my faves those are yeah. from the last year mm-hmm. i had fun last week i know this is a very recent one but the Lindbergh baby was surprisingly full of shenanigans. Oh, yeah. And I love the 47 Ronin. I really enjoyed oh, that yeah. too. That was a really interesting story. Yeah. The Lindbergh baby, <laughs> Japsy, that really sat with me. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that one really, really sat with me. Oh, my God. Muhlenberg Phonathon is calling me. I don't want to talk. Oh, no. I don't want to talk. Run away from your college asking for money. No. You have the audacity, uh, Jane. Also, the pyramids of Giza, like that, it like <gasps> there. That really sat with me too. That's a favorite of mine now as well. Some good oh. stuff. We've just—it's it's amazing how quickly these things leave my brain. Like I just looked at the whole of the list of episodes, and I was like, I talked about that. I have no idea what I said. Oh, I was also really shook by um, the Mount Everest one. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot going on there. There is. I liked when you talked about the real Jamaican bobsled theme. That was a good one. Oh, they were fun. They were nice people. They were, yeah, they were, that was an interesting story. Also, because I love that movie. And the HMS Bounty, that was an interesting one, too. Oh, yeah. Ooh, I like yeah. all the history ones, if you can't tell. Uh, yeah. But, you know, that's who I am. Uh, obviously, me capping the entire history of Poland was a highlight. That was an event. <laughs> that was an event. It was a performance. I mean, I really enjoyed talking about... Um, Arthurian legend that just has a warm place in my heart that you even asked me that. Of course, um, yeah. That was the same episode I yeah. talked about the Trojan War. I still think about that day we were in that used bookstore used bookstore and I was like, oh, I'm looking for this one book, but it's really rare and <gasps> Yeah, and it was just <laughs> like, rare. It was so weird. That was very weird. Very, very weird. Well, I'm glad that we've been we've doing, had some good times. Glad we've been doing this together for two years. I can definitely say that I have a lot of random and like kind of useless knowledge, and then like in a very niche situation, it's good for me to know. Like the other day, oh, my roommates were talking yeah. about their cat, and I was like, "Well, ca- you know, cats can only see like twenty feet in front of them as still object," and they were like, "That's not true," and I was like, "No, I, I do know that." <laughs> Oh, yeah, there's specific things that I'll be like, oh, I actually know the answer to this. Uh, right. It's for a random reason. <laughs> right. It, like, doesn't make any sense why I know it, but I do know it now. Um, or people will say something that, like, now I know it's wrong, and I'll be like, uh, I don't want to be that person correcting you, but... Actually, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's very true. I do get to be that person a little bit. Or being, like, actually, like, when they're, like, the French Revolution, it's like, which one? <laughs> <laughs> I am and always have been the it's tomorrow now kid at the sleepover. And like, <laughs> this has really only made me more of that person. Mm-hmm. Oh, Nicholas Flamel was another favorite of mine and not because... Because it took us three tracks. Yeah, but now like that information lives rent-free in my head the rest Burned of my life. In there. But also he was an interesting person. He lived a very, very long time ago. Yeah. And he could still be alive today. Okay. <gasps> <laughs> so... Thank you so much for going on this journey with us for the last two years. Uh, and thank you for listening. Sorry, sorry, say that again. Are, I are you really doing this right now? Okay, you can. No, I... I'm kidding. Okay, no. but thank you so much for being our listener for the last two years. We will see you again next week. This is, you know, when I've been wondering. <laughs>